Amen. Can everyone hear me? Am I coming through? Not yet. Am I coming through? Hello? We're just waiting. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, good morning, everyone. Sorry for that. Sorry for that slightly false start. Oh. I thought that might. I thought that might happen. Um, I can't quite believe it's our last normal stroke formal gathering of the academic year. I always still think of things in, in academic terms. Um, great summer opportunities, though, aren't there? And let me really encourage you to use your your words to invite others. To those, to those events. I've been thinking about words quite a lot in the last few weeks. Um, do you know the longest known word is over 190,000 letters long? Apparently it's a protein that goes by the chemical name of Titan. Didn't know that. There are two 15-letter words that don't repeat any letters. One of them is the word uncopyrightable, and the other is quite literally unpronounceable. I, I can't even begin to pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try and on the topic of words, I, I had immense satisfaction this morning. I play Wordle, and I finally got my 100 streak today. So I love words. But you know, on average, we, we humans, and this is of, of course an average, some people speak less, some people speak a lot more. We all know those verbose people. But we, on average, speak about 7,000 words a day. So that's kind of like a a 50 or 60 page book, a bit like this. That's how many words you will speak in a day. Imagine a lifetime of words. They would fill the walls of this room probably several times. And you know, words and heart are always connected. When we give, uh, when we give our words priority, it reveals our hearts, it reveals our passions, and it reveals what we devote our time to. Does this make sense when you think about your own words? And in our last passage, Paul is going to talk to us about our words, what we use them for, who we direct them to, how we use them, and why we use them in this way. We've just read the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is just under 2,000 words, carefully selected words, words of worth. What have they said to you? What have they said to us? Well, in terms of quick summary, they tell us that Christ is supreme. We haven't called this series Jesus dot, 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 plus nothing for nothing. It's a book of connections. It's a book of connections. Only by being connected with Christ through faith can anyone have eternal life. And only through a continuing connection with him can anyone have any power for living. And when we are connected, that living looks different. That's what it's told us. We take off, we take off the old and we put on the new in key areas of our life. But today we end the series, and my prayer is that transformation will continue in us, in our hearts. We come to Paul's final thoughts, we come to his final pleas about connection. And so today I'm going to be talking about three areas, our fellowship with God, our fellowship with those outside the church, and our fellowship with those inside the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, because that's really what the passage is telling us. So if you do have a Bible or a phone, we're going to be reading from Colossians 4, 2 to 12. It'll be up on the screen, so you can follow it there as well. And it says this. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, 
that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Remember, he's in prison. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Amen. So, this is called a longing for fellowship. And actually, as I looked and thought back on this as I wrote it, it it very much deals with the up, the in, and the out. That's a rhythm for us as a church, isn't it? As, As Christians, the up, the in, and the out. And fellowship, fellowship in essence is is partnership. It's unity of purpose. It's sharing what we have in common. It's it's oneness of heart. It's something that links us together. Does that make sense? Would you agree with that kind of definition of that? And Paul starts with talking about fellowship with God. And he tells us how and when to pray. And fellowship with God, I think, at its most basic is agreement with him in all things. And so Paul starts with the heart of communication, which is prayer. We are called to fullness in fellowship and communication with God. We are called to continuing connection. He shows us how and when to pray. And he says this, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And later on, he uses this word, Wrestle. He speaks of Epaphras, who is always wrestling in prayer. I think that's important for us today, that word. And so we're to be watchful. We'll start with that one. Watchful, what does that mean? Well, I think we need to be alert to the needs around us, the dangers of life. Watching, uh, being watching, uh, watchful of other kind of tempting philosophies. Do you remember Gnosticism is this false belief that's kind of eroded this church and Paul is speaking directly into that he says now don't be tempted by these false beliefs do not be led into temptation be watchful of this so my first question is what prevents you from being watchful and alert particularly in your prayer life he also says be thankful make sure when you pray you're thankful this is a classic Paulism he says this 32 times in his letters be thankful there was a Trappist monk He was only allowed to say two words every three years. After the first three years, he said to the brother superior, bad bed. (laughs) Three years later, he came back 
And he said, bad food. After three more years of silence, the monk said, no TV. Another three years passed, and this time the monk appeared with his robes and his sandals in hand, and he announced, I quit. And the brother superior answered, well, it's no wonder. It's no wonder you've done nothing but complain since you've got here. (laughs) It's a bit of a dad joke, but you get the point. And I want to tell you that we, if you're a Christian here today, we should be the most optimistic person in the room. We should be optimists. We should remember God's goodness in our lives. We should be thankful. J. Oswald Sanders, who read a book that I'd recommend to everyone called Spiritual Leadership. I think I, I threw this out on the Bible in the Year group the other day. He says this, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. I think that's a good quote, isn't it? It's a challenging quote. I I, I was brought to Jesus healing the lepers here. Who can tell me what percentage of the lepers Jesus healed came to say thank you? 10%. Only one in 10. I wonder if things have changed that much. We're called to devote ourselves to prayer. First and foremost, he says, devote to prayer. It's like Paul saying, this is the life source. It's like Paul is saying, this is the oxygen of the kingdom. He's saying, being persistent in prayer, don't give up. Jesus, through a parable about a persistent widow, said, don't give up. And we live busy lives. I know that. But I think, I think we must believe, we must believe that devotion is, in prayer is possible in a busy life. We must believe that. Because if we don't, we're in trouble. I think we can take, um, there's a quote from Stephen Covey, you may have heard of it, which I think is good for us. It says, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. I think that's a good challenge to us. And you know, I came across this statistic about prayer, and I couldn't quite believe it, so I had to do a bit of wider research. And actually, <laughs> it seems to be fairly accurate, as much as we take statistics at face value. And it said this, it says, the average Christian prays for between one and two minutes a day. We take this book, maybe a page, maybe a page and a half. I want you to think of someone you're close to, who you know well. If you spent one to two minutes a day with them in conversation, what would your relationship be like? Would you have ever have got close? If you spoke with those closest to you for a minute or two minutes a day, could you expect any kind of depth, of intimacy, of closeness? That's a challenging thought, isn't it? And this is why we need to wrestle. This is why we need to wrestle in prayer. Do you know, my kids love to wrestle. My kids love to wrestle. I call it lots of fun with three-on-one because three of them jump on me. In fact, you can see, I mean, we don't look as professional as that. It's usually a bit more chaotic than that, and it usually tends to end in tears. Um, But they all say to me, Daddy, Daddy, do you want to wrestle? And I, I really feel that God is asking some of us that question. But he's saying, son, daughter, do you want to wrestle today? And wrestling with God is asking him for what we want. It's persisting in prayer. It's crying out to him for ourselves and for others. There could be no detachment or apathy 
when we wrestle. It involves direct and constant contact. You can see that from the picture, can't you? When we wrestle, we believe that our cries and prayers matter. We have hope that our situation will change or that God will use it for his glory and for our refinement. It can be all three. We need to be fully engaged. And if you don't wrestle, you're going to be sidelined. You're going to be a passive onlooker. And I want to tell you that God wants more of you. You know, wrestling brings us closer to God. It did that for Jacob. Remember the story of Jacob? In the Old Testament, he wrestled with an unknown man until daybreak. This man was probably an angel. We're not entirely sure. This man was clearly stronger than Jacob. I mean, he simply touched his hip and he put it out of joint. But this person knew that wrestling was important for Jacob. Jacob clung to him. He refused to let the man go until he was blessed. And after he was blessed for his persistence, Jacob said these really interesting words. I think they're wonderful words. He said, I have seen God face to face. And this is what we want, surely, to know him. And sometimes my children say, Daddy, can we wrestle? And I just say, I'm just too tired. I just say, I need to rest I just need to rest. And resting is important too. I want you to hear that today. Those resting prayers of thanks, listening prayer, they are crucial. But I do want to ask a slightly difficult question, which is that, are you prone to only resting? Sometimes resting can be a cover for resignation because we've slightly given up hope. Sometimes saying, well, we're just trusting is a way of protecting ourselves from disappointment. Sometimes not asking can be a sign of just gently drifting away from God, unwilling to actively engage him. And we need to understand where our rest comes from. You see, I think, I believe, my experience is this. Wrestling leads to resting. Resting leads to worship. Worship leads to greater intimacy. And our hope in all this is that it leads to, as the passage says, maturity and greater assurance. The wrestling with God in prayer doesn't mean that we shouldn't rest in him, but we can't always wrestle in prayer because we get tired. Craig mentioned there's a lot of tired people in the room. We can't always wrestle. Sometimes we need to rest. But as we give our burdens to Jesus, he does give us rest. He says that. Think of that friend again, that person you're close to. The fact is you are close. Why? Because you've spent time And the more time you spend in someone's presence, the more they reveal. Not only about themselves, but actually about you. Have you you found that? I think I mentioned this in Alpha yesterday. They reveal things about you too. And the Holy Spirit does this when we pray. And I really want you to hear me. Because I don't want you walking out of here feeling guilty. I have no desire to guilt you today. No desire at all. There's always grace for us. You need to hear that. There is always grace for us, but I also want to lay down a bit of a challenge. That Do we believe scripture? Do we trust it enough to be obedient to it? Do we take up the challenge? Do we believe that God wants us to flourish and so by knowing his heart, to be in fullness of communication with him, that's how it will allow it to happen. And I just want to give you some practical points. For me, thinking about my past, my present, and my future prayer life has been useful. I think being authentic and realistic is crucial because we need to be honest with each other. Prayer is hard. Does anyone in this room find prayer easy? No. 
And in, in the past, as I, as I reflected on my past, there were some interesting things that I thought about. In my, in my family, I've got three brothers and a sister, <laughs> three fairly lively brothers, um, particularly when we were growing up. And the way that I was disciplined was I was given the wooden spoon, a rather hard smack on the bottom. And I don't hold that against my dad. We've had a good chat about this, so don't worry about me. Don't worry about my, my dad either. Um, I mean, amusingly, I actually hold the record for the most times spooned, spanked. Um, although my sister is the only person to ever been spanked in America. And this is going somewhere. This is going somewhere. See, I was given the one spoon, then it hurt. And then my father would sit me on his knee and he would pray with me afterwards. And that was nice, because actually, that's pretty much the only time I did, my father did pray with me. But it took me to my mid-twenties, actually. I'm a bit of a slow learner at times, to realize this was a really unhealthy association. That association with pain and prayer. That was something negative in my, my, in my past. Other things. I've, I've often felt, I don't need to pray. I'm competent. Why bother? And I, guys, I've got to be honest, that's pride. The root of that is pride, and we need to be aware of that. That's more negative stuff. But there's positive stuff in the past as well. I've had lots of, of answered prayer. There have been many answers to prayer. And as we move kind of from past to, to present to future, um, Mez and I, my wife, I think most of you know, you know we, we, we pray together at times, often situationally, situational prayer. We got to a point where we were praying for um, once a week for a chunk of time. And that became a habit. But I need you to know that's always been a battle. That has been a battle. And for the majority of our marriage, it has been hard for us. I just think it's really important to be honest with you. But at the same time, I also need you to understand that there can be a future, and I really want you to think about praying for your future, asking the Holy Spirit about your prayer life for your future. Because God has spoken to both of us through prayer um, in the last few years particularly. He spoke to us and challenged us about our devotion to prayer. And God spoke very clearly to me, and forgive me, this is from God, it's, it's not from me, but I'm just going to be really quite honest with you. God said this to me very clearly. He said, Jack, you need to reconsummate your marriage with the Holy Spirit. You need to reconsummate your marriage with the Holy Spirit. And I knew exactly what it meant. And then it came clear that prayer was to be a part of that. And I've got to be honest with you, prayer has now become indispensable. It has become absolutely indispensable and indispensable to our relationship. If we don't pray together, every day we miss it. We miss it. But part of this is our hearts are being ready for what's next, the future. God is gracious, and he knows what's next, because as Mez and I look to plant a church in the future, and all that encompasses, we know that this needs to be a top priority for us. And my context is going to be different to yours. Our context is different to yours. Again, you need to hear that today. I'm conscious that what I've said might be painful for some of you. But what I do want to say is I'm grateful I've grappled and not given up. I'm grateful I've grappled and not given up. And I want you to know that the more I pray, the more you pray, the more God will speak to you. And I love to hear his voice, don't you? We love to hear his voice. He speaks great things. He speaks a better word over us. Let not our prayers die while our intercessor lives. Let not our prayers die while our intercessor lives. 
That's a wonderful anonymous quote. (laughs) And I I also want you to say this has taken discipline. There's no way I can really soften discipline up. Discipline is a crucial character trait. And you need to ask God for it if you don't have it. So what's your past? What's your present? What's your future? What's the Spirit saying to you? Let me really encourage you this summer to really pray into this. The passage also talks about fellowship with outsiders. Outsiders, unbelievers, people you meet, neighbors, we can call it that, can't we? And Paul says this, just to remind you, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In other words, Paul is saying fullness and communication. This is about fullness and communication with the outside world. This is about how we fellowship with those around us who aren't in our church family. And Paul is saying here, this is who and what you pray for. This is who and what you pray for. And Paul prays for several things. He starts by praying for an open door, and he prays that we would take every opportunity. Can I remind you he's writing this whilst he's in prison or under house arrest? He's certainly in prison, he's under house arrest. He's not praying to escape. He's not saying, pray for an open door to be left open and I can walk out of it, although that does happen in Acts, doesn't it? He's praying for opportunities. He's praying for opportunities to speak around him, to those around him to speak about Jesus. He's prioritized being faithful rather than free. Faithful rather than free. But he's praying for an open door, and he gets one. He gets lots, actually. Whilst in prison, Paul wrote at least four letters. We've just read one of them. And those letters have blessed the church ever since. For the last two years, two years, 2,000 years. I, I call that an open door. Do you? That is an open door. I just want to take you to Philippians 4, 21 to 22 as well. I love this. This is right at the end of another prison letter, Philippians. Paul says, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Do you see? He's even evangelized some of Caesar's household. I find that incredible. He's gone through the open doors and he's taken every opportunity. I mean, can you imagine being chained to Paul as a Roman soldier? You know what you're going to get, don't you? (laughs) And, And his imprisonment, his house arrest did not mean the end of his ministry. It meant a change of ministry. He kept praying for open doors. And the question is, do we? I want to say, don't be confined. Look for open doors. Do we sometimes discount ourselves because of our line of work, because of a stage of life? I've certainly done that in my past. And Paul is saying something really challenging here. He's, saying, he's, saying, he's telling us, We do not need to earn the right to speak. Paul is telling us we do not need to earn the right to speak. He is telling us we have no right to remain silent. We have no right to remain silent. He also talks about conversation, doesn't he? He says it needs to be full of grace and it needs to be seasoned with salt. In other words, he's saying, may your conversation interesting, winsome, loving, and this is, an image, uh, this is an image and illustration of the church actively 
engage with those outside of church in our conversations. We are not called to be a hermit living on a rock a mile out to sea. Never really understood hermits, have you? Never really got it. And I think we can learn from Goldilocks here. I think we can learn from Goldilocks and the three bears. But instead of porridge, we can talk about saltiness. And we certainly don't want to be too salty. The word is seasoned, not covered in salt. Do you know, I once had to return some chips because they were so salty. They were unpalatable. They were inedible. And sometimes we can talk in such a way that is a bit unpalatable. We can go on the offensive too often. We can be too defensive. And we all know people who are a bit like a broken record. We are to speak to others in a Christ-like manner, not condescendingly, but with gentleness and respect. That's what 1 Peter 3 verse 15 tells us. We don't want to lack seasoning either though, do we? If our conversation has no salt, in other words, we never talk in a way that suggests any kind of passion about Jesus, then we're in trouble and frankly, I think we're disobedient. So how is your saltiness? How can you be salty? I think one way of being salty is to ask lots of questions. I kind of have a rule that I keep asking questions until I get asked one. And it's probably been annoying to some people. Maybe I've been too salty at times, but it certainly helped me to get to know people quite quickly. As a teacher, I would always find out something that was, that was of interest to every single one of my students because I had a point of reference. I had a little bit of salt in that conversation. Sometimes it can be worth throwing just a gentle curveball that provokes some further conversation. And I'd always say, ask the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask God, okay, how how do I speak to this person? I've done that several times. It's that kind of devotion to prayer stuff, isn't it? Prayer doesn't need to be this kind of formal time. I find myself walking down the street often and just, you know, help me, help me. I think that was Alpha today, wasn't it? Help me. (laughs) That's a big prayer. Uh, not Alpha, sorry, Bible in a year. Um, some people just want to just have a chat. Have you noticed that? I think there are some people who, who just want to have a conversation with us. The headlines tell us that loneliness surrounds us in our communities. I like to chat with people, with random people on the street. It's an opportunity. And I just want to tell you, you know, remember, all, all people are unique image bearers of God. And so that means they are worthy of our attention and love, and care, and they're worthy of sharing the hope that we have. Paul also then talks about fellowship with believers. He's talking about the fullness of communication with brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know, I agree with the comedian Peter Kay, who says that every family has an eccentric, slightly odd member, whether it's an auntie, or an uncle, or a nephew, or a niece. I have an eccentric uncle. This, <laughs> sorry. this uncle would go clubbing well into his 60s, as in night clubbing, wearing his favorite leather trousers. Some of you are thinking of Ross now, aren't you, and friends? And he would, he would turn up on Christmas Day, and he would give us vouchers for the spa. Now, don't think this is spa. Oh, this is nice. Shoulder massage, cucumber eyes. No, this is the convenience store spa. <laughs> he would give us two pounds worth of spa vouchers every single year. And we tried to be grateful, but it was so difficult. I, you know, give me, a, give me a plastic gun, I'm eight years old. It was that kind of thing. 
But church family is like this. We are, we are eccentric, and I love it. Church family is so much broader. It's richer than the Carter family, isn't it? It's so much richer and broader than your own family. I mean, what does a runaway slave, a rejected disciple, and a jailbird all have in common? They were Paul's team. They were his fellowship. And Paul is wanting to make it really clear that his team is a, it's a mixed team. It's a mixed bag. He talks about there are some Jews in this, but actually most of these are non-Jewish. They're Gentiles. He's really pressing that point for a reason. And I just want us to consider just for a minute what a few of Paul's team, his fellowship, reveals to us. Onesimus, the runaway slave. It reveals to us that no part of human existence remains untouched by the loving and liberating rule of Jesus. Tychicus, faithful. He is a faithful member of Paul's team. It's a reminder that often our greatest ability is availability. That's what it says to me. Do you prioritize making yourself available for your church family? Aristarchus, he's a fellow prisoner with Paul. He's in prison. It's a reminder of cost and sacrifice. It's a reminder that the gospel is worth it. Mark, John Mark, this guy was subject of a disagreement that Paul and Barnabas had. Do you remember this? Paul basically says, I'm not taking this guy with me on my next mission trip. He walked out on the last one. But here we have Mark reconciled. We see them reconciled, don't we? In church family, we're called to forgive, we're called to restore, we're called to be reconciled. And what we need to see, brothers and sisters, is that this fellowship should transcend grievances and it should cross racial, social, and religious barriers. That's what church family is. And there are, of course, some questions that arise from this. Are you hanging around with people just like you? Are you prone to forming a bit of a comfortable clique around you? Paul's team is a mixture of all sorts, but the most important thing is they're united under Christ. Have a look at this next picture. Can anyone work out what they have in common? So it's something to do with teams, yeah? Uh, that's a good answer, Luke. It's not the one, though. Who said that? So ultimately, they do have a shared purpose. But all of those teams start off as dysfunctional. Remember the Titans, Dodgeball, Mulan? They're all dysfunctional teams at the start. They all need a head coach to come and help them, to bond them, to give them a shared, unified goal and purpose. And in Jesus, our, our head coach, we have shared values. We have the same view of reality. We have the same view of ourselves. We have the same hopes. We follow the same cause. We are a community built on grace, faith, hope, love, forgiveness, and repentance. Jesus is, on the, is the rock on which we all stand. And I think the importance of uniqueness of church family was really highlighted. I think it was highlighted profoundly to us during covid Remember COVID? Oh, man. Remember the days of constant online meetings? Remember online lessons? As a parent, that was hard. I'm glad I was out of teaching at that point. 
Do you remember online church? Our tech team did an incredibly good job. But we were present, but not quite, weren't we? It was hard. It was a struggle. Fellowship was, mi- fellowship was missing. Do you know, I remember coming back uh, for our first proper in-person worship and gathering, and I had to go into that corner and have a cry. Did anyone else find that emotional, that first one back? And I, I was thinking about that the other day as I prepared this, and I cried for two reasons. First of all, I cried just for the joy of being back in community, enjoying God together again. But secondly, I had a profound reminder that Jesus came to us in person. He was as in person as you get. He loved in person. He wept in person. He prayed for his disciples, for us in person. He suffered in person. He was resurrected in person. And it just hit me. And we must be fully present and in person as Jesus was. Fully present in our communities, with our neighbors, with our Christian brothers and sisters. I wonder if you've heard this before. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. It tells us we all have a part to play. There are many people in this family, caring brothers and sisters. We all have a part to play. One body, many parts, but all under the wonderful headship of Jesus Christ. And I just want to spend some time to honor you, my brothers and sisters, this morning. In Romans 15, 14, it says, outdo one another in showing honor. And I just want to briefly do that. I want to say thank you. I want to say God sees you. And in fact, I want to say two things to you. Number one, I want to say that there is greatness in the smallest things done for Christ. If any of you are feeling disheartened, remember that. And secondly, I want to say that momentary things have eternal value. Momentary things have eternal value. Think about Tychicus bearing that letter. Consider the impact that this letter has had. I mean, we've spent, what, 10 weeks studying it? It has helped transform lives for over 2,000 years. So I want to honor you. And I'm probably going to forget someone or some team. So forgive me. I know you'll forgive me if I forget you. So I want to honor those in the nest, the treehouse, the you teams, community cafe team, the alpha teams, which include cooks and a prayer team and a crush team. I want to honor our cleaner. V's not here, but we love her. I want to honor the pray and play teams, the coffee and chaos teams, the preaching teams, the tech teams, the worship leader and their teams, the welcome and refreshment teams, the leadership teams, the Bible study team, the staff team, the community group leaders, the who let the dads out leaders in the teams, the signing team, the buildings team, basically the boasteds, the baking team, and everyone else who just throws in a hand. And I want to say keep going because we are being entrusted with growth. We've had two Alpha courses, and at least three people have made a commitment to Jesus. I think there's more on the horizon. I really do. So I want to say take the summer to rest. Maybe wrestle. Certainly pray, but let's not grow weary of doing good. I am coming into land. It's going to be a bit of a slow landing, but I think it's important. 
because I just want to share with you a few more thoughts on family. Do you know, I've concluded that many people are interested in where they come from, their family background, their history, their previous generations. Um, the fact there are so many programs on this, I think, reveals that to us. Long lost family, ancestors, ancestors in the attic, I never heard of that one. Um, the Generations Project, who do you think you are? And you know, on those programs, you always come across someone who finds out that a relative has done something bad. And you nearly always see tears. Have you noticed that? See, the past can have a lot of power over us. The past can have a lot of power over us. And as I was preparing this, I felt that some people who are just tainted by their earthly family likeness. It's like a shadow that's followed you around and darkens the room you go into. And actually, it can be a source of shame and pain. And earlier, I talked about the importance of considering your past, your present, and your future. And I want to say that you may feel that your past and even your present is not worth repeating, but what of your future? What of your future? I've also concluded that there is something significant about walking across certain thresholds. Have you ever thought about that? For example, you know, inviting someone into your house and what that shows you, I think it's significant. Today you've walked through the threshold of this building, all of you. This is a bit like a family home, isn't it? Although, of course, we aren't limited by this building. You need to know that. But as a church family, we've all come through those doors this morning. Do you know there's an old Christian tradition that church doors would be painted red? Why? Because we enter into the church through the blood of Jesus Christ. Out in that world, we never measure up. Our lives are never complete. We never fully belong. But when we walk through those doors, we walk through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that means we walk and take with us completeness and wholeness already prepared. So what does that mean? It means in church family, we can be weak. We can be honest with ourselves, with others, and with God. It means we don't need to fake it to make it. For he says, in my family, you belong. And that's a wonderful thing. And we belong by grace through faith. Jesus makes that clear. And, and the common experience of it, that, our experience, that's the deepest identity marker that we have. That's more than our family, our race, our culture. When we come together as a family, we find a fit. 1 Peter 2.5 says we are like living stones, being built into a spiritual house. I want you to remember that. We are being laid down by Jesus. Jesus is our master builder, and he's building an interlocking and beautiful temple. When we speak to others who know God's grace, we see that their identity is now rooted more in who they are in Christ rather than in their family or class. And as a result, we sense a bond that overcomes the things that outside of Christ create insurmountable, insurmountable barriers to our relationships. Jesus knocks them down. That's what he does. And so I'm going to end here and to say to you that Jesus still is and will always be the ultimate communication to us and our best response our best response is to allow our hearts to overflow in communication with him. Can we say I meant to that? 
So we've just been talking about being devoted to prayer, devoted to each other, what that means with Christ as our, our foundation. So I think it, it's most appropriate now for us to send each other out into the summer with prayer. And you might want to pray with someone specific. You might want to pray with the people around you. That might be easiest. But I've just put a few things up to, to help you. What is the Spirit being saying to you this morning? You might want to be asking God to help you to devote, maybe wrestle. It might be about rest in and through prayer. Ask God to highlight these things to you. I wonder, is there some heart work to do today? Do you need to forgive and be reconciled to a brother or sister in Christ? Maybe when I talked about that family as a dark shadow in your room, maybe that was something that you need prayer for. I want to tell you, you, there's power in the name of Jesus. So you can pray that over yourself, but if you want someone to come and pray with you, then, then let me know or let someone know. And if you're looking at those things, you're thinking, ah, that doesn't really feel that's relatable to me, um, then just simply pray specific blessing over people for this summer period. Specific, why? Because vague prayers, you can't really come back to them. Ah, oh, just pray a blessing over you. Pray for specific things, and then when September comes and you say, oh, how was your summer? You can say, oh, this happened. That's an answer to prayer. Okay? I'm sorry I've gone a bit, haven't I? I've gone over time. But it would be great to have maybe 10 minutes to pray, um, and then if we have any time at all, we can have some response. I'll leave that to you guys. So should we pray? Let's pray in our group.